gracious and loving God, we thank you for bringing us safely to a new day. And we ask that you would pour out your spirit, your blessing, your wisdom upon us as we study your holy word and pray that we would learn something new. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. On the third new moon after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They had journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So Moses came, summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. The people all answered as one, everything that the Lord has spoken we will do. Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak with you and so trust you ever after. When Moses had told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and prepare for the third day, because on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set limits for the people all around, saying, be careful not to go up the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Any who touch the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch them, but they shall be stoned or shot with arrows. Whether animal or human being, they shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they may go up on the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people. He consecrated the people and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, prepare for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, as well as a thick cloud on the mountain, and a blast of a trumpet so loud that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, while the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses would speak, and God would answer him in thunder. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents 
to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but, on, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. Then the people stood at a distance while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. We have a great saying in our culture about how it's time to shake things up. And if I had to summarize Exodus 19 and 20, God is ready to shake things up uh, because we have been spending time with the Israelites and the wilderness journeying towards Rephidim, um, stopping at the place they named for their quarreling. They've quarreled over not having water, they've quarreled over not having bread, they've quarreled over not having meat, they've quarreled against Moses, they've accused God of bringing them out into the wilderness to kill them. Uh, I mean, they really have been on this kind of bickering journey of distrust, and the Lord is ready to reveal the Lord's holiness to them and to in a sense, kind of scare them into a different posture to to shake things up. And so they are journeying in the wilderness, and Moses uh, goes up to meet God uh, near and at Sinai, and essentially says, uh, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Uh, the whole earth is mine, but you'll be a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. And that idea of being holy, uh, it means set apart. It means different. It means that you have a unique vocation, that you are set apart uh, by God for a purpose. Uh, and I, I just want to pay attention to that word if, right? If you obey, then you shall be my treasured possession. That at the very beginning of scripture, the covenant it feels very conditional, not unlike arrangements in the ancient Near East, but you know, between 
uh, vassals being asked to serve a sovereign in exchange for certain protections. It's almost like this feels at times, or it can, less as a covenant, more as a contract, right? If you obey, everything's going to go well. If you fail, you will be punished. Um, and I don't think that's going to be the deepest way of, of reading this text, but the language does kind of feel that way, at least at first. And I think that's important to name because uh, the people will not obey and the curses of the covenant will fall upon them. And that will culminate with the 10 tribes of the north going off and eventually being wiped out and the two southern tribes going into exile in the land of Babylon. And so much of scripture, right, this this final um, um, version of the book of Exodus was was edited and redacted and, and kind of got one final pass through after the people returned from exile. So they were really trying to make sense of why would God let this calamity fall upon us? Why was our nation destroyed? Why were we carried off to Babylon as captives? And a lot of it has to do with an understanding that they were not faithful to the covenant that God entrusted them with. But that's a little bit of a side. So if you obey my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. This is about holiness. It's about the people being different. Uh, and so this starts with the people needing to be consecrated. They need to wash their clothes. They're not allowed to even touch the mountain. If anyone touches the mountain, they will be put to death, either stoned or shot with arrows. Um, but I think that image of washing one's clothes and preparing for the third day, you see that in verse 15, washing and preparing for the third day. If this doesn't uh, bring up images of baptism and the third day of resurrection, then I think we're missing a very important prefiguring that's taking place in the book of Exodus, that washing of clothes, this idea of consecrating, of getting oneself in an appropriate state uh, to make contact with the holiness of God, um, this is now being introduced in a new way into scripture, which will kind of have a, a thread all the way into the New Testament. Um, on the morning of the third day, there's thunder, there's there's lightning, uh, the mountain is smoking, it shakes violently, it feels like an erupting volcano, um, and this is where God is revealing God's self. And so God is showing up as this awesome, violent force that is dangerous, that is utterly different, and that is calling the people to be different. And from the mountain, God speaks the words that become what we call the Ten Commandments. And what I want to point out about this is that part of what's happening here is that God's people are going through an identity shift where for the last 400 plus years, they have been serving Pharaoh, who has also pretended to be a god. And Pharaoh's, Pharaoh really just had one commandment, thou shalt make as many bricks as possible so I can build my kingdom, right? Thou shalt be productive, thou shalt be a good slave. Pharaoh did not really care about the Israelites, he cared about their output, he cared about what they could do. And if one died, that's fine. There was another one being born who could then 
keep the project going. But notice, like God is interested in something else. God's commandments are not about brick making. They're ultimately about the right orientation of our life and about what I would call character development. God is interested in God's people becoming a particular sort of people. And the foundation of character development or becoming the type of person after God's own heart is making sure that we don't have any other gods before him. Um, Now, in the ancient Near East, they were a polytheistic people, not the Israelites, but Egypt was, right? Egypt, uh, they were not um, uh, monotheistic. And so the ancient Israelites would have understood this to not fashion other gods besides Yahweh, to not make idols. And they're going to break this in splendid fashion in chapter 32, which we're going to look at next week when they make an idol, a golden calf, and worship it. They're going to break commandment one and two. So it's going to be a ridiculous failure. Um, But we can look at this in our own life and, and ask the question, what does it mean for us to not have any other gods before the living God? Uh, You know, for us, we're not tempted, I imagine, to worship the gods of other religions or pagan gods. But for us, the God is money. The God is power. The God is a good reputation. The God is comfort. The God is being right. The God is being respected, right? We all have these things in our lives that we tend to elevate and to say, if I can only have that, I'll be happy. And the foundation of the covenant then and now is always to say, no, if you worship the living God, that's going to bring a proper orientation to your life. Uh, We then get the rest of the commandments around not making an idol, not misusing the Lord's name. We have... Uh, The call to honor the Sabbath ramping up. Uh, This is not the first time we've heard about honoring the Sabbath in our study, uh, but it's about to get a lot more uh, explicit as being a a foundational part of the piety of God's people, not working on the seventh day and resting from our labors. And and the reason we do that, according to the book of Exodus, and really uh, the whole Torah is that we're told to honor the Sabbath for two different reasons. Uh, One is because God is the creator. In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and then rested on the seventh day. So if God is the ultimate creator, we can rest because we don't create anything. God's the creator. And just imagine like how this would have been experienced after 400 years of make bricks, make bricks, make bricks, make bricks, don't sleep, make bricks, don't take a day off, make bricks. You know, God is saying, you're not here to be a productive, you know, animal. You're here to be human. And that means rest. The other reason we're invited to rest is because God is the liberator, right? We're not the savior of the world. So no matter how important the project and work we're caught up in, It's never so important that we can't take a day off. That's basically the idea. We're told to honor father and mother, to not murder, to not commit adultery, to not bear false witness, to not steal, to not covet. And basically, God just starts with the top 10. There are many other things that God will want God's people to do to be holy, but 
you know, God starts with like the most important things. And the people witness the thunder and the lightning, the the trumpet, the smoking mountain, and they are afraid and they stand at a distance. And they basically tell Moses, don't let God speak to us. We're going to die. We need you to be our mediator between God and ourselves. We are not worthy. And so this is a dramatic shift from just them grumbling against God as if God were some idiot right? Some aloof idiot who doesn't know why he brought them out into the wilderness. God is revealing something about God's character, and it scares the daylights out of the Israelites. And of course, Moses says, God's just revealing himself in this way to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so you don't sin. And of course, I mean, it it, it doesn't work. And God knows it's not going to work. We We know that God is omnipotent, But that being terrified doesn't work, right? Because again, in only a few chapters, Moses is going to be hanging out on Sinai a little too long. The people will get anxious and they'll ask Aaron to make a golden calf. And so being terrified is not what ultimately keeps us from sinning, but it does make us ask the question, if terror isn't going to be the thing that makes us keep these commandments what force will, what force truly enables us to honor these commandments and the spirit behind them? Because, uh, you know, the verdict's going to be out pretty soon. Being afraid of God and trembling from a distance isn't going to cut it. It never really works. Uh, And so that's something for us to, to talk through. But basically, the people, to kind of recount it all, The people have come out of slavery. They've celebrated this great victory, but then they're not quite sure who they are, right? They're wandering in the wilderness and they're just upset over basic necessities not being there. And so in Exodus 19 and 20, God decides to to literally shake things up. The mountain is shaking uh, and to put the fear of God into people uh, and to really impress upon their heart that they are in relationship with a power, a force, a God who is not just a plaything, but rather the very force of the universe itself, the very creator of all that is. And this is not really sunk into the people yet, right? People who ultimately grumble against God or, uh, you know, ask questions about God's motives. Have you brought us here to kill us? They're still relating to God as an idea uh, and not as a living thing. And, And that word that we say in the Old Testament to capture this is the word glory. We talk about the glory of God. Um, it's important to be reminded that the word glory means weight, right? So something with a lot of glory has a lot of weight. Um, And, you know, uh, the problem with uh, the concept of God, the problem with our ideas of God is that when push comes to shove, they don't have a lot of weight. Our idea of God can only comfort us so long. Our idea of God can only mobilize us into action to such an extent. But whenever we encounter something of the real thing, um, Sometimes it's terror for people. Sometimes it's awe. 
Sometimes it's tears of gratitude. Sometimes it's uh, a feeling of utter silence. The experience being depicted today is not the experience that is part of the daily life of most believers. It's an experience some never have and lament. It's an experience others have once or twice and look back on as pivotal, but it's a let's shake things up kind of moment in your life. And so as we kind of go into this, it makes me wonder, has God ever shaken you up? You know, you think about Saul on the road to Damascus, blinding light, God shakes him up, he becomes Paul, right? That was a shake up kind of moment. But that's different than the story of the beloved disciple, for instance, in the Gospel of John, who just always seemed to be comfortable around God, and God never did anything violent or had to shake things up. And so God works with all people differently, but I'll be curious to know from this group what your experience has been. Have you ever had a moment where something within you trembled and said, there's something large here, there's something numinous here, uh, and my life will never be the same? That is the experience the Israelites have, I think, in Exodus 19 and 20.